If you want to sell your business and you want it to go to the right hands, you are listening to the right podcast today. Have you ever wanted to sell your business? Well, there's all sorts of factors that make your business worth a lot more on the open market, and we're going to talk about those factors. Today, I'm talking with Michael Arietta. He's CEO of Garden City, a company that actually buys small businesses. They don't buy them to flip them. He only has 50 investors. We're talking about Dan Cathy, chairman of the board at Chick-fil-A. Drew Brees, yes, the NFL quarterback for the New Orleans Saints who won a Super Bowl. Horst Schultz used to be head of Ritz-Carlton. If you want to sell your business and you want it to go to the right hands. You are listening to the right podcast today. With that, I want to welcome you to the Business Made Simple podcast brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. This is the only podcast that coaches you through a six-step plan to grow your small business. We do that by helping you build your business like an airplane. The cockpit is your leadership. The body is your overhead. The right engine is your marketing. The left engine is your sales. The wings are your products and the fuel tanks are your cash flow. If you master the six parts of a small business, your business will fly far and fast. Every week, you'll get the insight and steps you you need to grow your small business based on the book, How to Grow Your Small Business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. This week, it's all about not just the cockpit, the right engine, left engine, the body, fuel tanks, the wings. It's about all of it. And it's about landing it in somebody else's airport and then walking away, selling your small business. Hey, everybody. Entrepreneurs on Fire, hosted by John Lee Dumas, is available now on the HubSpot Podcast Network. Entrepreneurs on Fire stokes inspiration and shares strategies to fire up your entrepreneurial journey and create the life you've always dreamed of. I know you're going to love it. Here's a great episode to check out first from the show's 2020 archive. It's how to run a business on Amazon, tips and tricks from the number one leader in marketing products with Robin Johnson. In this episode, Robin Johnson, owner of Marketplace Blueprint, shares how Seller Central is the most common way to sell on Amazon what important opportunities you'll miss out on if you are not focused on Amazon, as well as what research you need to do to set yourself up for success and how to do it correctly. Listen to Entrepreneurs on Fire wherever you get your podcasts. Mike, so great to have you on the podcast today. We are long overdue to cover this topic on the Business Made Simple podcast because I know there are thousands and thousands of, uh, of business owners who are looking at selling their business. You have a very different kind of private equity firm. You're not looking to buy companies and pump and dump them. You're actually looking to hold on to them. Tell me first, why small businesses and why hold them for so long? Yeah, small businesses are the true backbone, I believe, and heartbeat of the United States of America. Um, they are many times the non-cyclical, non-sexy, what some would even call boring. I think boring is beautiful, <laughs> um, but it's what keeps our economy ticking, right? It's the infrastructure of the trash man, the water services, the roofer when your house has a leak, the HVAC. Um, also, the CPAs that need to do your tax return, right? And the auditing firms and so forth and so forth. Yeah, it's every financial advisor, every real estate agent, every barber. You know, when you're looking at a billboard on the side of the road, there's some small business that put up that billboard and probably sold you the advertising for that billboard. There's a graphic artist who created that billboard. That's a small business. 33 million small businesses in America alone, 400 million around the world. It is the backbone of the economy. In fact, I've always said small business is too big to fail. Amen. And without, it is the economic engine. But I'm curious, 
you know, when people think private equity, they think let's go find a software company. Let's pay 50 million because they're making 5 million in EBITDA. Let's scale it to a billion dollar company and then let's all retire on our yacht. That is not how you, that's not how you think of it. Why were you drawn to this? So I think the Wall Street Journal um, or Forbes, I forgot which one, but a couple months ago, they did a thing saying uh, the top 1% of Americans is not who you think it is, right? A person on the field of the Super Bowl is not the big CEO of Apple or Jay-Z that we see on, right? It's the gentleman that owns the largest roofing business in Arizona, right? Or it's the person that owns the large CPA firm, as you said, right? So there's massive, massive amount of wealth creation made in a small, medium business space, For me, the way I thought about it is these are good, predictable businesses and these owners need a succession plan and they need a liquidity plan and they've been running this for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Why wouldn't we just have the same exact approach that we come in as a steward, they hand the baton to us, we take good care of their people, we give them a fair price, we keep the diligence process stupid simple and we hold it forever just like they did. So there's no reason I have to flip it. When we talk about EBITDA, we're talking about earnings before interest, taxes, debt, and assets. So it's basically how much money is this company really making? EBITDA is just a fancy term to talk about that. One of the beautiful things about Garden City is that you guys actually know what these businesses are worth and you value these businesses. You understand them. Most private equity would be looking for cash cows, ways to make a ton of money when you guys are looking for dependable businesses that you can actually grow. Drew Brees is one of your investors, Dan Cathy, Horst Schultz, Jeb Bush, and there's only 50 of them. It's a closed community of investors. How'd you find these guys and why? Why such high profile, high impact leaders? Why is this so unique? Why didn't you just take anybody who, who could give you a bunch of money? Yeah, we only have uh, value-add and mission-aligned investors. So anybody that is an investor in Garden City companies, they have to be willing to be aligned to our mission, which our mission is to buy these great, sustainable, family-owned businesses, grow them, and hold them forever. So they have to be aligned to that to know that that is the intention of our heart. And the second thing is uh, that they have to be willing to help. So we typically love B2B businesses. We love B2C businesses as well. But the special beauty about B2B businesses is we could open some very large enterprise doors that otherwise small businesses can't. So if we could have Dan Cathy of Chick-fil-A, or if we could have Ward Chelsea of Ritz-Carlton, or Rick Smith of Equifax, or Maggie Wilderotter of Costco, DocuSign, HP, all these different people, Tim Tebow, Drew Brees, right? Jeb Bush, if we could have these certain people open certain doors for us because they want us to succeed, it helps them out because they're obviously owners of this business that we just bought. And then it helps out the business as well, because now they just knocked down a big deal. So they love what we're trying to do of creating this little Berkshire Hathaway of small businesses. I love that. I love the description, the Berkshire Hathaway of small businesses. It sounds fantastic. All right, let's get to the stuff that I think most of our listeners are actually going to be really interested in. And that is how do you increase the value of your small business? I'm going to ask that as a secondary question. Let me ask the same question, but inverse it. How do you decrease the value of your small business? What mistakes are people making that is making the the value of their business so low that they really maybe even couldn't even sell it? What are the big mistakes that you see out there? There's three big buckets that we look at. So the mistakes that everyone makes, one is team, two is financials, and three is customers. So break down the first one. So team. Almost every business that we speak to, small business that makes less than, call it 5 million of EBITDA per year, net income, free cash flow, whatever you want. Businesses in that space between 1 and 5 million of EBITDA, most of the time they're owner hustles. 
The owner is deeply, deeply, deeply involved in every single nook and cranny in the business. They know every decision. They know every customer. They know how much the customers pay. They know everyone's story in the business. So if that owner wants to get out of the business, the business is going to take a significant hit across all dimensions, financials and everything else, right? Right. If you look at it from a, a team perspective is if they do not have a scalable, predictable management team, right? The team, a new owner cannot step in and take the place of that owner. So they need a management team critically. They need a management team they can work with. The second part is on the financials. Um, it must be a business doing at least double digit net EBITDA margins. So if your business is, is doing revenue of $10 million a year, it must make at least 10%. It must make at least a million bucks. If you're doing $20 million a year, it must make at least 2 million. Hmm. minimum 10% so that you have margin for error, so that you have margin for reinvestment and so forth, right? So the financials is critical. You need to have healthy margins. And the last is customer makeup. You cannot have heavy customer concentration. So we see some businesses that are saying, we make $4 million a year of EBITDA. Well, if it all comes from one customer making 70%, if that customer wakes up tomorrow after we buy the business and leaves, the business just left. Right. Yeah, well, that, I mean, all that makes complete sense. I, I would imagine for my listeners, the first problem is the biggest, and that is they have not installed systems and processes that allow this business to run without them, that if they leave, the business declines. And it's a serious problem, but it's not a problem that's impossible to solve. Even How to Grow Your Small Business, my book, will help you solve that problem if you install all the parts yeah. of it. A lot of times, though, it's an ego problem. A lot of times, you know, I'm such a micromanager. I've got to be in the room telling everybody what to do. And, and you don't realize you're actually devaluing your business by being such a control freak. When you're dealing with a business, let's say you're on the third meeting. How are you sniffing out that this guy's the problem? Yeah. I mean, we'll ask a lot of questions such as, hey, so tell me one of the last biggest decisions that the company made. And they may say something, just something comes to mind right now saying, we just moved our headquarters. And I say, great. Um, how do you guys find the location? Oh, well, you know, I play golf with this gentleman who's the best, you know, a uh, commercial broker in town. I said, okay, no, that came from him. And then how did you actually uh, figure out what the design was going to be? Oh, well, you know, I knew that I wanted this. I knew that I wanted this. Okay. So he was in the, in the design element of it. Or if it was a large customer, how do you guys knock down a large customer? Oh, you know, Johnny over there, I called him every day. I flew down. I took him to this. When there's a lot of I, 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 Right. You know the owner's deeply involved. So it's it's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive when it you is. when you ask a question, you want them to say, uh, let me get back to you. I'm not exactly sure how we did that. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> when an owner tells me, Mike, I have no clue what my net margin I don't know. We made two, three, four million, even a lot. I have no clue. Margins. I last customer, the last customer, I don't even know who it was. But you know, call my GM, call my COO, call my CFO, right. call my management team. That is a good, scalable, predictable business that is viable. Yeah. Okay. That management team, who do you like to see in the room? Let's say you're in the third, the fourth meeting. The owner's not too involved in it, although you know they may be involved, but it's not dependent on them. Now you're going to test out to see what the management team looks like. Who do you like to see in that room when they pull the management team together? It depends the size and scale of the business, right? So if you're talking about a $50, $60 million business that's making five, six, seven million million a year of EBITDA, that's a more sizable business. Right. So you, you would hope to see in that business. CMO, yeah, exactly. controller. Yeah. And I've never really seen a CMO in the small, medium businesses that we look at, to be honest with you. Typically, what we see in companies kind of of $5 million of EBITDA and above 
It'll be a, call it a GM or president, or typically the owner keeps the CEO title, but a GM, president, or COO, definitely a CFO, sometimes it's head of people, right? Right. So that, those three would be like, wow, they have a head, <laughs> they have a head of the business that's not the owner. Yeah. They have a head of financials and they have a head of people. That's incredible. Typically what we see, given we more so playing the 2 million of EBITDA to 5 million of EBITDA, what we typically see there is a head honcho that runs the business um, that is not the owner. And then maybe they have one or two kind of more people that are their lieutenants that are in the business. Yeah. If they have a controller or if they had a head of people, that's incredible. But we need to see at least some level of people that could come and give us a debrief on what's in the depth of the business. And are you asking yourself as you interact with these leaders, who's here, who's leaving, who's going to stick around with us? And you're hoping these, you know, a, a significant chunk of them, if not all of them stick around. Yeah. I mean, that's our entire goal. Our entire goal is, hey, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. Right. right? right. So if, if last year you were making $3 million of EBITDA, why would we come in and try to take you all out and bring in a new team? That's that's what private equity does. We don't want to do that. We want to replace the role of the owner. That's what we want to do. So if the owner was there and supportive and a consultant and an advisor, that's what we want to do. Right. We want to be more consultative, more supportive, and more a better advisor especially given that we have these 50 investors that can help you, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, we are coming alongside you. If the whole management team says, if the owner's gone, we're gone, then Garden City's not going to buy it. Of course not. Yeah. Yeah. And if anything, and just the last thing is, we we say this proudly, management teams are typically not equity shareholders. The owner typically holds 100% of the equity. As soon as we buy the business, we look to make the the key leaders all equity shareholders. Really, you make that transition, so that's a very nice, you know, way of keeping people around. Is you're going to say, "Hey, you've been building this business. You you deserve a part of it." Yeah, you've been building this business for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and you've been doing it for salary and bonuses. Your entire package is going to stay the same, maybe even better actually. But in addition to that, if you're working like an owner, we want you to think like an owner. Shouldn't we make you an owner? Yeah, that's pretty great. Are you sick and tired of wasting your precious time on tedious tasks like pulling reports, rewriting blog posts, and trying to personalize countless prospecting emails? Well, say no more because HubSpot has some amazing new AI tools that are going to blow your mind. Introducing Content Assistant and ChatSpot, all from HubSpot. Content Assistant uses the power of OpenAI's GPT-3 model to help you create content outlines, outreach emails, and even web page copy in just seconds. And in case that wasn't enough, they created ChatSpot, an incredible tool that connects to your HubSpot CRM for unbeatable support using chat-based commands to manage contacts, run reports, and even ask for status updates. This easy-to-use CRM just got easier. Head to HubSpot.com slash artificial-intelligence to get early access today. And now back to the show. Okay, so if we are the owner of the company and we have installed systems and processes that allow it to grow without us, that's key one. Key two is to have a leadership department where everybody kind of knows what they're supposed to be doing and their marching orders are pretty clear and it all works really well. If those things exist, then we can move on to the financial check. What are the red flags that you see in finances? A, don't be fat. 
right? Right now, many businesses are cutting costs down of their G&A and they're trying to run more nimble and more lean and that's wise, right? So how low can you go in terms of being lean while still having a lot of good output? But I would imagine that a lot of companies, a lot of businesses, business owners, they're actually trying to make their EBITDA as low as possible to reduce tax exposure, right? So that they don't want a bunch of profit. They, they, want a, they want as little profit as possible so they don't have to split that money with the government. Correct. If you're looking to sell your business, though, you need to reverse that thinking. You need to get your EBITDA growing every year, or are you able to look at the financials and see what's really happening? Yeah, you're able to look at the financials and have a conversation with the business owner saying, hey, EBITDA was $3 million bucks, but in reality, free cash flow, they actually showed the net income was $1 million. And they're like, yeah, we, bought, we hired some more people or we bought some more trucks or we invested in more X because, again, they're trying to show the least amount of gain as possible to pay. And so on that, we could say, well, if we were the owners, it would have truly been $3 million right? But they were trying to minimize your tax exposure. So that's an easy conversation. But the biggest thing on financials is, are you running it wise? So we, so we acquired a company, I won't say the name, we acquired a company, we looked at the financials. And in this industry, they were making the industry margins were eight to 10%. Our company that we bought was making 12 to 13. Hmm. And we said, Hey, how do you approach annual sort of renewals? They were like, well, we just focus on new business. We don't look at our past business. I said, well, let's put something in place that we say every 12 months, it at least goes up by the amount of inflation. So if inflation last year was 7%, at least there's a base increase of 7%, right? And let's also look at all the renewals because if we haven't increased pricing for these reoccurring customers in 10, 20, 30 years, that's ridiculous. So we did that. And now we finished last year at 17% net margin. So that was a wise thing around renewals and around customer retention, right? So are you thinking about it in that sense? Are you taking contracts just to win the business? Because as a business owner, you're thinking, hey, I'll take a million dollar revenue deal even if I make a thousand bucks. A thousand bucks is better than nothing. That might be true for you, but for a buyer, they're not going to want to buy a business that's doing net 1%. So you have to really think about it holistically of profitability and wise financial choices. Oh, I love it. Okay. So you get your bottom line in order. Your, your EBITDA is really healthy. It's been healthy for a couple of years, maybe a few years. And the next thing that you want to check off your list is your customer base. Customer makeup. Yep. And so what do you do with the company? What what advice would you give them if you say, look, you know, 70% of your revenue is coming from this one company or this one buyer that's buying these widgets from you? Uh, what's your advice to them? So there's two things to talk about. There's end customer concentration and there's actual end user concentration. So someone just introduced us to a business that they seal driveways, like asphalt driveways. I'm like, huh. Asphalt driveways always need sealing, it's commercial. But then I realized that it's all new construction in Bluffton, hmm. South Carolina. Yeah. And so, so I'm thinking, okay, that's a concentration. I wish he did commercial uh, um, whatever, malls and, and grocery stores and apartment complex and condos and everything. All he does is new construction for shopping centers. So it's not that he has one customer that makes up all of his revenue, but he does have one end market. So if we go into a cyclical downturn or a recession and people are not building new shopping centers as much, yeah. that entire vertical is gone. 
So to us, we're like, Johnny, and that's not his name, but Johnny, we wish that you also did this for grocery stores and malls and hospitals and schools. So you're too concentrated on one end market. No bueno. Which you you can totally understand the mistake that Johnny made because Johnny's going, I'm just going to focus on this niche. That way my marketing can be really clear. The relationships, I can go to one place. One Makes sense until you start to think about selling it. Completely. Okay. Those are the three areas of the business that you want to get right. Everybody listening to this has heard of somebody whose uncle or somebody whose cousin or nephew sold a company for 12X EBITDA. So they're sitting there going, oh, we made 2 million last year. Therefore, we're $24 million. And they're shocked to find out they're actually not worth that. What is an asphalt uh, ceiling company that's got an extra $2 million in EBITDA laying around? They are not dependent on one customer. Their financials are actually strong, and the owner is largely out of the business, maybe gives them five, 10 hours a week, walks through the office. Uh, what's that company realistically worth in your mind? So uh, Pepperdine does this great thing called Capital Markets, uh, Pepperdine Business School. Um, and they study all the lower middle market. That's the specific term for this level of private equity. It's called lower middle market, okay. LMM. So these are companies below $10 million in EBITDA. And so when I got into this, Don, I thought the same thing. I came from software. I'm like, oh, companies are actually, no, 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 Don, they're going to trade on top line revenue <laughs> even better. And then I was like, whoa, whoa, okay, that's not the case. Well, then clearly 10 times EBITDA. And then I hear business owners saying, oh, my friend sold for 10 times, 12 times. And then you look at the data, the real, real concrete data, and it's baloney. Lower middle market companies trade somewhere between three and six times EBITDA. That's the net net of it, right? If you are a scrappy company that one of those things we talked about in terms of management team, financials, and customer makeup, if kind of two of those three, three things are out of whack, aka maybe they don't have a management team, maybe they are making good financials, but their customer makeup's a little wacky, then you're probably worth three times. If you made two million bucks last year, you're probably worth six million bucks. But that's a great deal. They're paying you out three years in advance of what you're doing today. And you don't have to work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You don't have to work, right? If two of those three things are there, really, of hey, I actually have a really good management team. We actually have good financials. But yeah, we struggle with always supporting this one customer too well. You're probably worth four times, four and a half times, right? Now, if you're looking at a company that's hitting out of the ballpark, that's like CFO, CRO, or whatever it is, different management team, they have strong 10% net margins. They have great customer makeup, right? They're in a good end market. They've been around for a long time, so they have healthy predictability showing their operating profit for many, many years. That company could be worth five, six, maybe even six and a half, seven times, yeah, you know, yeah. all day. Now, the reason why software companies are so predictable, look at what we just talked about. Software companies typically have a CEO, COO, CFO, CRO, head of HR, right? What's the next thing we talked about? Financials. They have 70%, 80% gross margins, 20, 30%. Subscription-based margins, models, right? guaranteed revenue Reoccurring in. subscription, little churn. Every year starts and you're just dealing with the snowball effect. It's predictability. Hence why it's worth eight times, you know, or seven times. Well, that, that makes sense. There's a plus side to what you're talking about. Three to four X EBITDA. What are the other options? I mean, the other options are you sell it to your own team. You hope that they can get you that kind of money. Uh, you you don't have a guarantee on that at all. What other options are there out there for the small business owner if they don't want to sell to you or somebody else? 
So I think the first go-to is a succession plan is I want to give this to my son or daughter. We've seen that's typically not preferred because what happens is either A, they don't know the business, B, the management team feels like it was a give, right? Unless they've been working in the business and it's been a casual passing the baton for three, four, five, ten 10 years, right? Right. Then it works. But if it's, hey, I've been running XYZ, white service, marketing, sales, legal, accounting firm, right? And- I know that I need to get out. Every year, I've been saying one more year, one more year. I'm 62 years old. I can't just go call my son that lives in a different state or has never been in the business to take over. That does not work. Um, Selling it to your management team, that sounds wonderful. Selling it to your management team. The question is, if you're doing $2 million a year of EBITDA and it's worth six, seven, eight million bucks, where in the universe is your management team going to get that? That they're not going to want to because they're going to want that money sooner and they're not going to want to wait eight years before they start making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars each themselves. And neither is the owner. The, for that, the owner is going to keep on working, right? right? Yeah. So that doesn't work. And ESOP is completely complex, takes on debt, very similar to the employees buying it. Private equity, if you're in, the, in this small of a space, private equity is not going to be interested. Or if they are, they're going to put a bunch of debt on it which is going to make the process difficult. The management team is going to hate having that much debt and they're going to buy and flip it. Yeah. So your employees that you see every day, they're going to keep seeing a new ownership, keep seeing a new ownership. So unfortunately, what we see is they just dissolve the business and it's just this slow dissolving thing or they find someone that tries to put a deal together or they find a, a line buyer like us. Yeah, you know? I love it. Well, in, in, in full disclosure, Michael, you and I have entered into something that I think is really fun. It's something I've wanted to do for years and years and years. I just never found the right private equity partner to do it because I was not a pump and dump guy. Let's buy companies and then you know pump up the revenues and then try to sell them two years later. Something didn't feel quite right about that. So when I heard your model, I approached you and asked if we could work together. And here's what Michael and I are doing. We own sellyoursmallbusiness.com. And if you go to sellyoursmallbusiness.com, there's a little calculator. We'll just answer a bunch of questions, to be honest with you. And it'll tell you approximately what our view of what your business is worth, take it or leave it. That's what our view of what your business is worth. If you've never found that out, you can go there and find that out. And then if it's right, Michael's team will get back in touch with you and say, hey, we actually, you kind of stood out here and we're sort of interested in getting to know a little bit more about what your business is all about. And if you go to sellyoursmallbusiness.com, you can interact with us. What's really cool about that, and here's what I like about it, is is after you leave the business and sell it to us, I get to work with your leadership team and take them through the six parts of the airplane and make that business even stronger, which of course is great for Garden City investors because the business just got a little bit stronger, except we're not going to dump it. We're actually going to keep it. Really, really cool stuff. I'm, I know why I'm excited about sellyoursmallbusiness.com. Michael, I'm curious if you'll tell your, our listeners why you're excited about partnering with us. Oh, I'm so excited. I mean, you and I have been working on this for a while. And so to now to go ahead and unleash this to the world, we're very, very bullish on our side. I mean, we are so bullish on your playbook and how you double the revenue in small businesses and how you keep the entire story very simple and you focus on what matters. And that just aligns so much with Garden City. And we also are both very aligned on wanting to build great businesses that the workers could thrive and they're proud to work there. And so for us, it was a one plus one equals five. Truly, it was so creative. Um, And so we're very excited for that. And as you and I have spoken many times, Don, is many of these businesses may not fit our model. But even if they don't fit our model, we will still be helpful to them. We will point them in the right channel. We'll point them in the right direction. We will be an advocate and a friend to them because they are a follower of Business Made Simple and all the different 
great content that you're putting out. So we want to be helpful, even if they don't end up being a Garden City company. But I think many of them will end up being part of our portfolio and they'll be along with us for the journey. Well, I can't wait to meet the leadership teams of the businesses that listen to this podcast. By the way, if you and your team are listening to this podcast, make sure to come up to me and say, Don, we listen to the podcast. We went to sellyoursmallbusiness.com and we can't believe what happened over the next several months. Uh, it was really fun. Many of you, many of you out there, you would love to sell your business. It's been a daydream. It's been a fantasy for years and you didn't know what the first step was. You do not have to sell your small business to us. You don't have to do it. But if you want to find out what it's worth, go to sellyoursmallbusiness.com and uh, we'll tell you what we think that your business is worth. Michael, I am so, this feels like it. I mean, honestly, it feels like a godsend to me because I had been daydreaming about this, kind of praying about it, you know, interacted with folks, but nothing seemed right. And then you came along and heard about the, the investors that you have, your vision for small businesses, your desire to create a great culture. I just love it. And I'm very, very grateful to call you a friend. And I look forward and I'm, it's been an honor to introduce you to to uh, my listeners. And I hope that it's a win-win scenario all the way around for all of us. Don, anyone that gets a partner with you in small businesses is the winner. So for us, knowing how to buy them and be an investor is one thing, but knowing how to scale them, double and 10x them the way that you're a master at, that's truly, truly our godsend. So thank you for partnering with us. Many of you have, you know, as I said, daydreamed about selling your business. Many of you are not in a place to sell your business, don't want to sell your business, but this has been an introduction to you on the fact that you even can. And who knew that you could sell an asphalt uh, paving company or a pool cleaning company or a landscaping company or or something like that. Uh, you probably thought you were going to run this. Uh, and then when you're 65 or 70, you're going to step out and let the thing fizzle. Why not step out and have two, three, four, six million dollars in your pocket when you do it? So go to sellyoursmallbusiness.com. As you know, at the end of every episode, I give you a plan of action from today's coaching conversation. These are the main takeaways you can immediately implement to strengthen and grow your business. There was a lot in today's episode, and I, I imagine this will be kind of the beacon episode for any small business owner who wants to sell their business. I imagine that this episode is going to do very, very well for a very long time for a specific reason, because there's not many resources that even talk about this. Let me give you two different plans of actions, two different things that you can do. The first plan of action is, Don, I'm not ready to sell my small business but I want to get it into shape and I wanted to get it in the kind of shape that five years from now I could sell it and it would be a worth, it would be worth a lot more than it is now. I have a resource for you. It's called small business flight school. You can go to smallbusinessflightschool.com to learn about it. it is a six month experience that you can go through alone or you can get your entire leadership in a conference room and you can watch a video each one is a step or an exercise that you can take to make your business more valuable. I'll take you through the six steps it takes to grow a business, but we break down those six steps into sort of baby steps, mini steps. Uh, so we're going to go through your leadership, your marketing, your sales, your overhead and operations. We're going to install a management and productivity system inside of your business. By the end of it, you will have a machine that runs with or without you. It's a pretty transformative process. The whole idea behind Small Business Flight School is to help you double the revenue. I, I literally mean that, a 100% increase in overall revenue. And of course, if your revenue goes up 
and your profit margins stay the same, then your EBITDA goes up and the multiple on your business, the value goes up. So if you're not thinking about selling your business yet, but you love the idea of having it be really, really valuable, don't go to sellyoursmallbusiness.com and give us your information. Instead, go to smallbusinessflightschool.com. If you are ready to sell your business, you say, Dom, my earnings are strong. My management team is good. I definitely don't have to be involved as much as I used to be. My customer base is diverse. Uh, I think I got a strong company here and I'd love to find out what it's worth. If you think that your business is worth 30 million or 20 million or 5 million or whatever you think it's worth, and you really want to find out from a private equity perspective what your business would actually be worth, go to sellyoursmallbusiness.com, enter your information, and it'll be Mike's team that gets back to you, not our team, but it'll be Mike's team that gets back to you because they're the ones who are actually going to put up the money and buy the company. Uh, but go to sellyoursmallbusiness.com. The bottom line is that you would just be better off than you were, that you'd have more time, you'd have more money, and that the business that you love would be in very, very good hands. All right, everybody. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Business Made Simple podcast, where we help you build your business like an airplane so you can fly it far and fast and then land it in somebody else's airport and walk away with a giant bag of money. (laughs) See you next week.